So you like you have an artist you work with for all those? Yeah, yeah, my good friend Altery Graves. So he works. Uh, you know, it's a cool story with him as well. But yeah, it's uh, you know we work together for. Uh, been close friends since probably 2000 and, you know, did some stuff in the past, but yeah, he, where he does all the artwork. Um, you know, I work on the scripts and he's been, uh, you know, we, we kind of go back and forth. We have a good creative process going. That's really cool. Okay. So it's like a creative venture between the two of you with you, uh, doing most of the writing and him doing all, all the visuals and stuff. Yeah. That's cool. How did you decide to get into that anyway? Like, I know for me, like doing a podcast, I was like, I talk a lot. I should do more of that. But <laughs> for you getting into like comics and comic strips and that sort of thing, what what was the, uh, what, what um, did that for you? So one of the things that Saul Tariq has been a good friend of mine since, you know, since 2000. And we actually had a clothing line uh, in college where, you know, it's called Black Ink Clothing, the, the original Black Ink before uh, <laughs> the <before laughs> before the other one came out and uh yeah we had a lot of really cool designs and you know we we're it was doing really well um so it was just a lot of you know kind of hip-hop themed uh you know artwork stuff like that and just throughout the years you know he, he was always my friend and when i started agile i called him up and you know he was working as um at the time i think he was he was still doing a artwork here and there but you know he's working as a postal worker so Told him yeah, he has too many talents to be doing, you know, he needs, to, he, needs to, he needs to draw for a living. So I brought him on to Agile to be our creative director. That's awesome. I, I love to hear stories like that. One of the like the coolest things as, you know, your career sort of goes and you're in different fields <laughs> and you meet different people is just having that ability to like connect people when you know, like the perfect person for someone else to meet. Oh, yeah. Like uh, you and I had met um, after uh, sort of Adam Mika won his gold hoodie. I was like, so Adam, like, I, I don't know anything about trailblazers. I have no idea what this gold hoodie means. Like, I don't know any of this, but it seems like there's some really nice people over there. Who should I talk to? And like, you were on, on the top of the list of people and you and I did like a call. And I, that's why, like when we first talked, I wanted it to just be like, let's just talk. Like, I, I don't want to do like a podcast with you and it'd be like, Hey, we don't know anything about each other. We just literally just did a call. And by the end of it, we had like totally hit it off. And I was like, that yeah, was yeah. really awesome. And we, ever we, since we, then, we became like sticker pen pals. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. We're sending swag back and forth. And I was like, this is amazing. And ever since then, I've been like trying to send other people your way. Like my friend Kevin was like, OK, so like, who should I talk to? Like, I, I don't know anyone over there. I'm like, you got to talk to Sharif, man. Like, He's the best. Oh, yeah. yeah no, Kevin's great. Kevin and Ken. Uh, I haven't talked to Ken. But uh, just, uh, you know, just seeing his interactions on Twitter and stuff. It's it's really fun to get plugged in. And like, even though, uh, you, you know, you're part of the Trailblazer community and I'm part of like the data fam and stuff and sort of both are under the parent umbrella of Salesforce as a company. It's it's interesting because both the, the cultures are similar and different in their own ways. Right. But also at the end of it, I think what it comes down to is they're made of people that are really passionate about a thing. They like helping others. And it's like there's a real like wanting to build community and like sort of what yeah. does that mean? Like what sort of builds community and what like detracts from the community? And everyone might have their own ideas of that. And you've got all these people at like both a sort of corporate level within like uh, Tableau and Salesforce trying to say like, how do we cultivate this? What do we do? And then at a grassroots level, like people like you and me, like what do we do to make this fun for people? Like what do we do to, to draw them in? Yeah. And, and it happens. And I think like, like you said, at the grassroots level, it happens organically, right? It's a lot of, uh, and, and I think we discussed it's, you know, very similar, you know, with the data fam and, you know, the, you know, the Salesforce community. Uh, it's just people that, you know, found this, you know, found this great opportunity and a great way to make a living. And, you know, once you get in there, you just want to open up and help other people to kind of step in, you know, you know, I know I talked to everybody about Salesforce, right? Uh, you know, on the, uh, on my Uber rides, I'm like, get on trailhead. Like, <laughs> Well, it's you found something awesome, right? And I yeah. think the thing that sort of distinguishes um, a community and the way people sort of deal with it is what do you do with it when you found something amazing? Like, do you sort of take that and like keep it for yourself and, uh, you know, hide it away from other people? Or are you looking to like, oh, well, I got to tell everybody about this. Um, and I think it comes down to like, do you view like success as a zero sum game or not? Right. Like, yeah. uh, is this something where for me to succeed, someone else has to fail or is there more than enough to go around? And if we're sort of building up others, that creates even more opportunity. Yeah, definitely. No, I think it's, 
you know, building up others, I think, is the key to community, right? It's just going around and, um, you know, I mean, p- people that know me, you know, I don't, I don't keep anything secret, right? Because it's not about, you know, it's not about, you know, which, which courses you take or which things you do, right? It's just about being, you know, just being a good person and giving back. So the same way I was brought into the community and I used to go to the success community and look for answers. Eventually I was like, you know, I got to, I have to give back, you know, give back to the community that, that kind of helped me learn Salesforce. And I started answering questions. So, you know, I, I, and, you know, also just looking at, you know, looking at Tableau, looking at Salesforce, looking at all the different, you know, MuleSoft, all the different, um, you know, the different avenues that you could go to, right? It's just, it's, it's enough out there for everybody to really learn and become an expert at things and, and really make a career out of it. Yeah, it's that's one thing I sort of like when I was first getting started um, within sort of the Tableau ecosystem and everything I had come from previously, I was like um, a developer, I was doing, you know, oh gosh, like visual basic.net and stuff like that, which I really hated, like I like making visuals. And this was just the most clumsy way of doing it. And I realized mm-hmm. I actually liked the sequel part of it, the back end development part way more than the front end. Yeah. And eventually someone said, hey, you should get in a BI. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but let's talk. You know? <laughs> so I started using like um, web objects or uh, no business objects at the time. And business objects was kind of good for making tabular views. And if your org had it set up well, you could drag and drop and create stuff. But the dilemma being a lot of times you still had to know some SQL and do some custom hacky stuff to make it happen. And that was fun for a while. But then I went to a Tableau training uh, in New York. It was like a two day thing. I still know who my trainer is. Uh, I follow her on Twitter. She's awesome. She's moved into different stuff. But like uh, I did this and I'm like, this is really awesome. I don't know if I'm ever actually going to get to use this at work. Like it seemed like one of those things where it's like, I I don't know what the depths of it are, but I'm excited by how quickly I can make things and how easy and exciting it was. And then uh, going back and starting to use it at work, it's uh, it initially I I'm kind of one of those people that like at least that stage of my career, I drag my feet whenever there was something new. I'm like, "Ah," because I think I'd been through so many changes that were arbitrary and I just expected this isn't going to be around long. You know, yep. it's like someone's going to someone's going to switch us to something else. I'm going to have to learn a a seventh language of some kind. <laughs> I'm going to be doing this other thing. So I'm going to I'm going to do enough of this to keep rolling, but I'm not going to really get excited about it. But then as I was doing it, I was like, well, hold on, like I could probably do this for fun stuff. Like and, uh, I, you know, sort of messing around after work one day, I was like, you know, M. Night Shyamalan, is he good or bad? Like, you know, as, as someone that's uh, that lives in the Philly area now. You may have your own strong opinions on M. Night Shyamalan one way or the other. I don't know. But when I was in college, like, you know, The Sixth Sense had come out, then Unbreakable came out, and he was like the biggest thing in the world for like 10 minutes. And then not too long after that, he started just having a series of bombs in a row. And it went night from like M. Night Shyamalan being like from the mind of M. Night Shyamalan being something to market stuff on to it almost being like a veiled threat, like brought to you by M. Night Shyamalan. You're like, ah, okay, well, thanks for the warning. Um, And it was interesting to like, you know, take the real data from Rotten Tomatoes and put it in there and say, well, the critics say this, the audience say this, is he good or bad? Yeah. And I was like, wow, like I didn't think about that. And, And really opening my mind to what you could do really made me better at work too. Yeah, no, the, you know, the data, you know, the, the, the stuff that the data fam is doing, you know, uh, the, the one that you showed me, I was amazed when I went to the website and started looking at all the Vizies and I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. I want to, I actually want to jump in there and, you know, <laughs> play around with it myself. We can so, get you going. I mean, it's not hard. Like, that's the thing. It's like, it's real easy to get started. And there's sort of this, this like curve at a certain point, like getting started super easy. Then there's like a sort of that, you know, that that bubble in the middle where it's like it feels like you're having to put in a lot of growth and learning. And then you get to a certain point where it feels easy again. But that's that's just part of that whole cycle again. But yeah, it is. That, that's the, the cool thing. Like, it's really easy to get started. And uh, I actually taught a couple classes uh, last year um, through a, a program called Women in Technology out of Emory University. So okay. they set up this like nonprofit as part of the university with the idea being that um, trying to sort of elevate like single mothers out of poverty, like if you really want to do that in a successful and sustainable manner, you really want to like teach them skills that they can, you know, apply and get good jobs. And they partnered with like local companies saying, hey, we're going to train people 
And will you hire them for like X amount of money if they meet your standards? And they're like, okay. So I came on board with that. Um, and I was like a co-teacher on a Tableau course. Like they told us what we had to teach and we put together the curriculum and, you know, uh, for several Saturdays during the fall, uh, Jared Flores and I, we sort of tag teamed. I would do one session uh, one week. He would do another. We'd do a study hall in the middle of the week to to take these ladies that were trying to sort of break these generational cycles. And um, it was really exciting because I, I saw them growing and progressing. I saw the skills that they had already pulled in from the different modules they'd done because they were doing like uh, all sorts of stuff. I think it originally started as like a cybersecurity program, and then they just expanded it okay. uh, to a larger tech thing. But it's really cool to be able to teach someone else something and see them like grow and get excited about it. And also, um, you you have to understand it yourself, which I know for me, many times I think I really understand something. But then as soon as I like had to document it or explain it to someone else, I'd be like, I feel like I'm skipping a couple steps here. Why oh, yeah. am I doing that? Do I not <laughs> understand something? And then my own knowledge would grow, you know? Yeah, and I'll always say that to a lot of my mentees and people I work with, you know, if you want to learn something really well, teach it, because that'll get you to, you know, it'll get you to really get your thoughts all around it and be able to kind of complete the little gaps that you may not even know you have. Um, so no, that's great that you were doing the teaching and, and just the, you know, data in general, right? And then my day to day, you know, at, at my company Agile's work, you know, data is like we, we do Salesforce implementations, but I think that the key to, you know, a successful implementation or, um, you know, or an implementation that goes awry is always the data, right? Like, you know, how, how is the data brought over? How is it, um, how is it transformed? How, and then, you know, the visualization piece, of course, is, you know, where everybody wants to get to, right? A mature organization, like, you know, get the right data, get the trusted data, now kind of look at it and be able to make some actionable decisions off of it. So, you know, we work with, with data day in and day out and, you know, uh, you know, you'll have to talk to um, my good friend and the president of the company, Tim A. Uh, Tim, Tim was the CTO of Illinois University for a while. He's, you know, got into consulting and Salesforce, and yeah, he's our uh, he, he's our data guru. So I think you'll enjoy talking to him as well. I look, set it up, man. I'd love to meet him and talk <laughs> to him. Like that's the thing. Like. I think people assume that, you know, if you're like a this person, you only want, want to meet other people that are in that that realm yeah. of you know, expertise. But I want to meet people in all sorts of realms of expertise. Like I talk with you, you're a Salesforce guy, different software, right? We're dealing with different stuff, but we have some similar roots between the fact that data is involved in both. And there's a similar, you know, the parent company. I have some friends I follow uh, that I've gotten to know pretty well that are like movie reviewers or comic artists and like all these people that I'm meeting. And while we have different professions, it's really fun to top talk shop with each other and ask each other questions to understand in what ways our jobs might be similar and what ways our jobs might be different. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really think, you know, data just you know, it has an over overarching reach into everything, right? Especially now, you know, w what are your thoughts on like chat GPT? And I, I think uh, a Trailblazer DX Salesforce is supposed to release uh, Einstein GPT, which is supposed to write reports for you. Well, what are your thoughts on where that could take like the data, you know, the, the, just everything data? I think that I think that's a good application for it. I think one of the dilemmas with stuff like chat GPT is uh, I've been looking a lot online about it and messing around with it myself. Like the other day I try, uh, I told it it was an, uh, a self-driving car and <laughs> told it that it had to choose between hitting a different vehicle with people in it to save me or veering off the road with me in it to save the other vehicle. And it rejected the premise <laughs> and it said it can't make, you know, human life choices. So I said, okay, two vehicles, no humans, all eggs. You know, what do, what do you <laughs> same amount of eggs in both cars? What do you do? And and it sort of perseverated again. And I kept pushing until it said, OK, I would drive off the road. And I said, OK, now imagine they're people, not eggs. And it kind of stuck with I would drive off the road. I'm like, OK, here we are, because, you know, with with any sort of AI um, and, and this is beyond sci fi, this is now the realm of reality where we're actually yeah. talking about these systems saying, especially when we ever have to allow AI to make sort of choices for us. Um, yeah. especially like driving is a very simple choice. You know, we're, we're having more semi-autonomous vehicles in the road right now. And at some point a vehicle is going to have to make a choice where someone dies. Yeah. And at what point are we comfortable with that? So, so that is a scary, 
version of AI, not because it's evil, but because its morality is alien to us because it's, it's so separated from anything that we would consider. Right. Yeah. Um, but in terms of a help me find a technical solution for this, I think it's a brilliant application for AI because it's consuming all this data from all these different sources. It's going to iterate through those things and search for optimal choices. It's not always going to be right, but that's where the feedback loop comes in by interacting with people and us saying, yeah. no, that's not really a real answer. And it's like, okay. So then it can go back and synthesize that in. And that's the cool thing about chat GPT because it's not just a single kick, you know, feedback loop. You can do it more than once and it continues to like revise its responses. And I think that's where people are having fun with it. And also where people are finding ways to hack it, uh, which is, the interesting thing, right? Because once you're interacting with computers through common language, like previously we thought of stuff like ThoughtSpot and stuff like that, where you could type stuff in and it just made stuff, um, which was not really AI, but just more of like a language engine. It's a now hacking is becoming a verbal game no. where you can you can trick the machine into doing something maybe it's not supposed to do <laughs> by navigating into a different path, which is both exciting and terrifying. Um, and also means you might have a way to convince a Terminator not to kill you. So that's that's also good. <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know, just seeing how that how, how they're planning to incorporate that into Salesforce, and you know, really just using kind of um, sentence structures to have them create a report for you. That's going that's going to be interesting to see how you know how right they get it. So. I think I think the interesting thing will be like, and I think this was one of my concerns about ThoughtSpot. I know Tableau has also been experimenting with you know basic like language synthesis to generate things. And mm -hmm. I guess the nice things about with that in a Tableau Salesforce ecosystem is then that's a first step, and you can have a developer take it. And it's like now I need more. Go go run with this. And it's like okay, it's already a foundation. Uh, whereas with some other stuff, um, maybe that's just sort of the end result. Um, I, I like the fact that it's uh it it opens up a lot of possibilities. And I don't have the immediate concern of this sort of thing putting, you know, people like us out of work. I think it's more of a tool for people like us to work with. Yeah. Although I do think automation serves a a major risk to people in, you know, sort of more, you know, blue collar jobs. Like at the grocery store, we've got the self-checkout now, right? And it's that's not even AI, but it that replaces people's jobs because it's they like, oh. This is cheaper and you can check 16 people out at a time and you only need one person to monitor it. And that's one of the things it's like, yeah, go hit trailhead. Like it's, it's a great time to, to get skilled because unfortunately for a lot of jobs, um, they, they're, they're going to go away in some capacity and it's getting really hard to tell what those jobs may be. Cause yeah. I, I, I think, uh, it wasn't that long ago when, uh, like coal miners were getting laid off. Right. And on social media, there's the whole thing where it kind of callously uh, came off of, you know, some reporters like hashtag learn, learn to code. They're kind of like making fun of them, like you should have seen this coming. <laughs> and then like right now, it's all the reporters and the tech workers being <laughs> laid off. And it's like, look, even if you had learned to code, that might not be enough right now, depending on where you're working, because, you know, there's significant layoffs depending on just market volatility or, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of one of the things that I always try to tell, you know, the people I'm working with are helping kind of lead down the path of, of getting into Salesforce, or just getting into technology in general, is, you know, there's always the two pieces. And I, I truly think like the, the business context is so important, you know, to set people apart, right? A lot of people may go and learn trailhead, and you kind of learn the technology. But then when you hit the ground in real life situations, you know, yeah, sometimes they, they don't understand the context of the business. And to me, I think that's that's probably even more important than the technology. I think the technology will get there, but just understanding the basics of, you know, how a business works, business processes, why people do certain things, um, I think is is a piece that I think has to be worked on just throughout the, you know, through the, throughout the community and making sure that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, there's trailhead, there's all these courses, everything out there. I think we just need to put a little bit more emphasis on that business process, especially for people that are, you know, new to Salesforce and getting in and may not have that type of exposure from the past. I think that's a, a great point. And I think that's one of the things that's often short-sighted about layoffs, particularly in sort of, you know, not like tech or high, uh, essentially high touch jobs. So I think about, um, we have based uh, in Memphis where I, I live, 
uh, First Horizon, which is a banking company. And at, like every two years, First Horizon lays off their entire IT staff, outsources. And then like about two years later, they bring everyone back in. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, that was a mistake. And it's one of those things where uh, in their case, they have these senior vice presidents that come in. They're like, well, let's see. How do I make my mark on the company and uh, quickly show that we're we're gaining extra profit? Oh, this looks like an expensive thing. Aren't data people kind of like janitors? It's just like a thing, like anybody could do this. So they'll outsource it and then realize, oh, wait a second. There is institutional knowledge. There's understand, understanding of how our business operates and our processes. And just because someone can write code doesn't mean that they are necessarily knowledgeable of what they're supposed to be writing about or how it applies to you or what will work for your users. And that's like you're saying, why it's so important to be knowledgeable of the business. And I think that's one of the sort of professional maturities of someone that works in a tech field, understanding who your customer ultimately is, learning how to communicate with them, and also sometimes being willing to push back or ask difficult questions when they give you just like a direct order. Because I know sometimes it's very easy to, someone will give you specs. They're like, make this thing. And you say, well, what's your question? Like, what are you trying to do? <laughs> I said, trying to make more money. And like, how are you trying to make more money? I want to know the comparison between these two things. And I said, how does that make you money? You know, you, you, you sort of follow them down the logical rabbit hole. And sometimes the thing that they think gets them what they need might not necessarily be it. And that's the, the sort of professional maturity, tenacity portion of that, where you're kind of gently pushing back, not saying no, but saying like, let's talk about where we're trying to get here. And yeah. I might know something that could bring that we could bring to the table here that will get you more of what you want that you don't even know exists. And that's why you're paying. That's the real reason you're paying me. Yeah. Um, so Zach, a quick question for you. So, you know, for people that do want to, you know, jump in the tableau and start yeah. learning and uh, you know, especially coming from the Salesforce ecosystem or, or even from outside, you know, I know, you know, with Salesforce, a lot of people, you know, start with trailhead now, which, you know, it didn't exist, didn't exist back in the day when I started. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we have things like Trailhead. There's like, what would you say are the best resources for somebody to, to just jump into Tableau and start learning? Yeah. So I would say the Tableau Student Guide, it's a website, the thetableaustudentguide.com is made by a community member, Maria Brock, and now it's run by Eric Baelish. Um, that's one of the best resources if you're totally unfamiliar with it for getting started, because it is. It's not like, it's not treating you like, oh, you know, it, it, it's really great at walking you through the basics and expanding on those in a logical way. Um, and part of that is explaining how to make different charts, why you do things, how to connect to data, all that stuff. And it's, it's in these nice little modules, so it's easy to navigate. Another thing I would recommend is uh, Andy Kreeble created something called the Visual Vocabulary. Uh, which is available on Tableau Public. So if you go to tableaupublic.com and type in visual vocabulary, you'll probably see several dozen copies because a lot of people have downloaded and copied it, but there's one that probably has like 4 million to 5 million views. That's yep. Andy's. And the use of that is not to teach you how to make the stuff. It's to tell you the different things you can make to address different types of data or different questions. Because like you were saying with stuff, working in the field of data is sort of a two-part practice. There's the tool competency, which in my case, my primary data visualization tool is Tableau. I use other things to clean the data or, you know, do ETL as we call it, which I could use SQL. I could use Alteryx. I, yeah, I might connect to a smart sheet of these various things, but Tableau is my main tool for visualization. And then we have to know like, oh, what do I even make? Um, because I've seen plenty of people that are very tool competent, like they are even using advanced techniques and stuff. But the stuff they're making might not necessarily be clear to communicate what they're trying to get to. They yeah. might make some iffy choices and stuff. And that is sort of, um, for that part, I say exposure to what's good. And also, you know, looking at examples like that uh, help you sort of work through some of the early growing pains of, I can make a chart. I can make any chart. And then understanding not every chart's the best chart for each situation. And understanding how to make stuff that all works together cohesively to actually share something versus just making stuff to make it yeah that sounds super cool the, the just the the whole process of the visit seems super creative uh just the way you know uh when, when i looked at it when you when you sent me the website and uh, you know I, I went down i went down the wormhole for a little bit <laughs> i started looking at everything they have on there 
it's it's really fun. And I'll say one of the things that when you're first getting started, um, not everyone starts at the same spot. So the time at which people discover that rabbit hole that I introduced you to, right, um, where you're like, whoa, look at all this stuff. I didn't even know this was some people are brand new, like they've literally just barely started using the tool and they found this really quickly. Other people, um, I, I use my friend Luke, Agra Luke Abraham as an example. Uh, his very first viz on Tableau Public is, is amazing. Like, wow, that's your first. But he was, he was doing it for a while before that. Um, and he had just started doing something publicly. So I think it's one of those things where, uh, especially when you see people that are years ahead of you down the road and you look at the stuff they're making and you're like, that's impossible. Like, I, I don't even understand how you made this. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand what it does. Um, and there's lots of ways to, to learn that. There's, there's blogs, there's YouTube tutorials, there's all these things. People are making stuff all the time to explain the, the crazy things. But a part of it is the willingness to get started and the willingness to know that the first stuff you make is not going to be that great. Or alternatively, it might feel great at the time and later you're going to feel embarrassed by it. And I think one of the biggest growth opportunities there is making stuff you don't like and still keeping it public. Because uh, the temptation would be, oh, I'm going to cleanse my profile and just keep the, the most current stuff that makes me look yeah. really cool. But by having that history, um, it shows progression for anyone else that's trying to learn or potential employers. And also for yourself, um, because it's so easy to compare yourself against someone else who's better than you. But it's it's better to compare yourself against yourself and see where you're growing and learning and improving and use that as motivation to continue to do so. Yeah, no, that's great. And then, uh, you know, you're our first data hero this year. So I'm, I'm planning to have another wall like this, but only for the, you know, for the data fam and the, you know, the, the enough respect data legends. So um, that's awesome. That was that was a huge honor. I showed it to my kids and they laughed at me, uh, which they do anyway. Uh, and they said, uh, your hair doesn't look that good. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> Um, but but they didn't say the abs were off, so I'm gonna take that. Like that's a win. <laughs> you know? It's like okay, so you're going after the hair. That's fine. I'll I'll take this for a win. That was a, that was a huge honor. Thank you. Uh, I I think I actually got I got that uh, that day or with you with you uh, sharing that, and I got a viz of the day that day, my ninth. So that was a, a banner oh, nice. day for me. Like wow, I'm really killing it today. Um, yeah, like, you know, which sometimes you have those days, and you know, other times uh, you don't. And especially like I know for me. The very first time I got Viz of the Day, I never thought it was going to happen because I felt like I'd sort of at that point, I'd probably made, you know, maybe three dozen things at least. And I was like, well, I mean, some of them are good. Some of them aren't good. I don't think this is ever going to happen. And I and I got one and it just felt like the world opened up to me. I was like, holy cow, somebody <laughs> thought I did something good. And uh, and what's the what's the process of getting Viz of the Day? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so um, there's there's like Tableau staff members and sort of like data fam ambassadors and visionaries and stuff, and they sort of uh, suggest stuff. There's like a suggestion process. Okay. And then Tableau chooses uh, the different topics and and puts them out there uh, every weekday. So it's really exciting uh -huh. to see what's coming. Like sometimes you see it, like you might see someone post something and you're like, oh, that's definitely going to get busy today. Like sometimes you just know. And other times uh, you might not have seen the thing, like especially with social media, it's very hard to see with so many people making stuff, um, see everything. So it's a great discovery process to both find new people that you're unfamiliar with, like, holy cow, like, who's this person? I haven't seen this before. That's that's really neat. Or to see someone that um, maybe you haven't seen their stuff lately, like. Uh, we were talking about Kevin Flurlidge, who's a pal of mine, but as much as I love Kevin and as much as we talk, I, I don't see his work all the time just because it's so hard to see everyone's feed. So unless I'm going and browsing his profile regularly, okay. I, I might see something and like, I didn't know this was one of yours, Kevin, you know, so it's it's really fun to to see other people's work and then uh, synthesize that back in. And I think a lot of times, you know, you were talking about how people are making these crazy things out there. People see Tableau public stuff that's kind of zany or very like bold or innovative. Like, yeah, but you're not doing that at work. And mm -hmm. it's for the most part. Yeah, you're you're not going to use some of the more exotic things, but that doesn't mean you're not learning techniques yep. that you're not applying back. You're taking some of that passion back and you're taking speed back. So all those things are different factors that you're getting out of this process of making something that, you know, no executive would ask you for. But at the same time, um, are preparing you for your day to day. Yeah, yeah no, it was always better to have those tools. Keep, keep the the more tools in the tool belt, the better. 
Yeah. So I was going to ask you, how did, how did you get started with Salesforce? And like, when did you discover like the trailblazer community? Does that happen? Did that happen pretty quickly for you? Or was that more of an evolution? No, it was more of an evolution. So, um, you know, I came from a sales background and uh, I was working uh, as a sales rep. I was a top seller and um, they had promoted me. I was working at a company uh, called Komodo. That's a sales certificate company at the time. This was in 2010. And, um, uh, you know, the CEO, uh, so they promoted me to, to a trainer. And the same day I became a trainer, the Salesforce admin quit. So the sales, the, the CEO called me into the room and was like, you're the Salesforce admin too now. I was like, all right. <laughs> so yeah, I was a completely uh, what we call like an accidental admin. And, you know, spent the next few, uh, you know, years just kind of learning hands on, um, really helping grow that business and kind of became a right hand man to the CEO. Um, and then eventually, uh, you know, I, I, I got certified and, uh, this is maybe a year later. I got uh, a couple years later. Yeah. I think it was about two years of kind of learning hands on. Uh, then I got certified and, and started my own uh, business as a freelancer. And, um, yeah, so I, I didn't really, so I probably started around 2009, 2010. You know, I discovered the community as far as, you know, uh, going to, you know, success community to search for answers, things like that. And then uh, I didn't really kind of start contributing until about 2012, 2013, when I really got, you know, pretty sharp in Salesforce and, and decided, um, you know, it's time to get back since I learned so much from just going on to the community and searching for answers and things like that. So how does it work within the Salesforce community with like MVPs? Like Tableau has, we, we've got a couple of different things. So like early, like, I'm not going to say it's like a direct progression because not it's not all connected or anything. It's not like you get a, you're here and then you go to here, you know. Um, but there's things like a featured author, which is, you know, every so often they'll release a list of, you know, hey, here's, here's a bunch of cool people doing stuff to look at. Yeah. And then they've got like Tableau ambassador and that's sort of like a, you're being a leader in some capacity and they've got different like uh Tableau public. Like you're, you're really involved with, you know, building public visualizations or social, like you're really active, like you're a sort of promoter or, you know, cheerleader on there or, you know, um, forums. And then there's visionary, which is like, you know, you're considered like a master of the tool and you you help build up others and that sort of thing. It like is MVP equivalent to visionary and are there other things as well? Um so for the MVP program itself, there's it's really just you know, Salesforce MVP, but there are many ways that you could kind of get into it. Um, there's a success community, like answering questions. That was the main, you know, avenue. I went and I answered about 10,000 questions and I didn't even know that the, there was such, such a thing as an MVP. I just got an email one day, like, you're an MVP. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so there's uh, there's that way. There's, you know, there's like personal blogs and like personal, you know, so like uh, David Liu has like sfdc99.com. There's a lot, you know, a ton of them out there where people kind of self have like their their websites and, you know, uh, courses and, and ways they can help. There's a, a big thing is like uh, community, like the group leaders. So the Salesforce group leaders, you know, all over the world, right? Uh, New York user group, you know, Memphis user group, whatever user group you're in, those leaders eventually, uh, you know, a lot of them become MVPs. Uh, so it's really just, um, you know, there's a nomination process. So people nominate you and then, you know, the Salesforce kind of votes on it and, and, and chooses the next class of MVPs. But it's really about just contribution, helping people out selflessly and, you know, just, you know, helping to make the community a better place. So, um, there's really, you know, there's no progression. It's really just, you know, co contribution. People might, um, you know, I think there is a piece of it of people, uh, people knowing what you're doing, right? Because there's a ton of people out there that are doing a ton of work, but people just don't know about it. So, you know, they don't, they don't become MVPs just because they're not like, you know, putting out what they do. But for the people that, you know, kind of people know what they're doing and they see them on the forums, they see them on their websites or, you know, at the user groups, then, you know, eventually you might get nominated and become an MVP. Yeah, I, I don't think that's dissimilar uh, to sort of visionary in the sense that, like, uh, I've got some friends out there that do amazing stuff internally yeah. to their, their companies and stuff like that. Like, uh, but it's so much of it is sort of what you're doing that's, you know, more visible. Um, right. And, you know, some of that is, you know, 
you know, depending how big your platform is, right? So like if you've sort of developed a larger following, your stuff gets seen more, like that's a factor. Um, but I think a lot of it, uh, you know, it's uh, it's also a marketing degree and mar marketing program to degree, right? Mm -hmm. So like they're they're using, you know, not using, but it's, it's a partnership where we make stuff, we're really enthusiastic about this. And, you know, because we're all making such cool stuff, they're able to show that stuff and say, hey, look, you can do this with a tool and beyond that, uh, yeah. You have a really great help center in the fact that there's so many people that are out there helping others for free and, you know, building up, you know, the learning programs and stuff. So it's, it's really great uh, for everybody. So, yeah, it's I, I can see how that that can happen uh, to anyone in these kinds of roles. Like you might be doing really good stuff, but sometimes it's you're not getting seen as much or maybe your work isn't stuff that can even be shared. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a dilemma, right? Yeah, yeah, and and you know, some people may some people may think like, well, you know, I don't want to put it out there and show it off, but at the end of the day, you're helping people. So yeah, I definitely think there's a piece of it of just you know, you shouldn't be like you know hesitant to show off what you're doing, especially if it's cool stuff. Like <laughs> you know, other people want to see it and want to see how it's done. So uh, and it's all in the spirit of helping people. So yeah, I, th I think it's it's very similar in, in in that sense and. I'm sure with you know, I'm sure with Tableau, it's you know similar to Salesforce. We do a a ton of case deflection for Salesforce, so they're very happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, we're a really great R and D division. Yeah, it's like we're we're finding features all the time that they don't even know exist. So that's exciting for everyone. Like, hey, did you know you could do this? And like, okay, well, taking notes, we're gonna. We're going to build in a more native way of doing that in the future. So, or alternatively, you know, we're, we're also kind of white hat hackers in a way if we find ways that break things. And uh, yeah. that's also useful because we're just sort of enthusiastic. And I sort of tell people, um, you know, when I tell people that what I do for fun in my spare time is I make data visualizations, their first response is sort of like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, let me explain. So Growing up my entire life, I've always drawn a lot. And I think in retrospect, a lot of this comes down to, I am 100% sure I have ADHD. And uh, <laughs> people assume that when you have ADHD, that means you're like, you know, you know, just jumping around all the time. But that's not how it manifests for a lot of people. And having two daughters with it, I realized that for one of them, as my art child, she always is drawing like she's she, so me in class. I'm taking notes and drawing. I've got two pieces of paper next to each other and people would assume I'm not paying attention. Yeah. But with ADHD, your brain is craving a lot of extra stimulation. So in a way, what I'm actually doing is I'm taking that level back down to the level where I can concentrate fully on the thing I'm supposed to be listening to. So it's like the drawing is more of a uh, you know background act. And I think that for me, Tableau sort of became a, just a new medium for me to do that in. So when I explain to people, it's like, you have to understand like Tableau is my favorite paintbrush. You know, it's, it's my favorite tool. Like I'm, I'm making stuff that to me is sort of artistic and expressive. Sometimes it's about hot dogs, you know, sometimes it's about movies, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's my way of sort of exploring ideas and expressing them and uh, finding uh, some fun in that. Yeah. That's uh, it's, uh, it's super creative and, you know, uh, that's what, when I, you know, when I looked at it, it struck me because, you know, we, you know, we work with the comics and the creativity and stuff, but so I, I, I could totally see how that's just, uh, you know, you, you could, you could finish working and, and, you know, at the end of the day and say, Hey, I'm going to jump on here and do a, you know, do a viz. <laughs> I mean, sure. And, and there's, there's new horizons for that always being found. So there's lots of charts that are really cool, but are very, very difficult to make, especially in like a tool like Tableau or um, like network diagrams where you're sort of expressing the relationships between different things. Um, my friend Tristan has developed some really easy templates where if you get your data into the right shape, you can generate these in a Tableau workbook really easily. And for me, that's really opened up a new horizon. Like, wow, like I've wanted to explore some of these ideas like what actors appear in movies together and stuff, but there hasn't been like a really great chart to do that uh, short of investing, you know, a dozen hours <laughs> and making a very complicated workaround. Um, and he made it easy. And I, I, I was talking with him. He was a recent guest also. And uh, he was saying, yeah, so people are, some people are giving me heat saying like, why are you making this? People are going to make bad charts. And I'm like, that's not a reason not to do something like, Anytime we have a tool, there are going to be people that do something wrong with it or, or use it incorrectly or use it for evil. Um, but 
the fact that it's out there means we now have an opportunity to make lots of good examples to show people how this could be used so that other people adopt it for good reasons and use it for the right thing. Like not necessarily the morally right thing, but like a, oh, that will work for my relation, like my organist org structure or something like yeah. that. That's a perfect application for that, you know? And they might not have previously had like a real, you know, easy solution they could use. So I'm like, no, you're, you're doing God's work, man. Like making hard <laughs> stuff easy is always oh, yeah. good in my opinion. It's just then up to other people to sort of set the example of now here's how to do it correctly. Yep. And, and Zach, when is the, uh, the Tableau conference? I know I've seen you tweet about that. It's in Vegas. Is it always in Vegas? Uh, it's usually in Vegas. So they've done it in Austin once. They did it in New Orleans once. But uh, this is a, uh, a return to Vegas. So we, we had done Vegas, New Orleans, Vegas, COVID years, back to Vegas last year, and we're returning to Vegas. I believe it is the second week of May. Okay. Um, so I think it's May 11th through 13th. Don't, don't call me on that. But they actually, um, people will be listening to this the day after Valentine's Day. Uh, 2023 and just today they released the uh the conference registration so people are going to start registering okay. i've already booked my flight and room uh, so now i can finally book my my uh, conference ticket itself but i am very excited for it because i know for me and uh i talked with my wife about this and she doesn't really understand but that's okay i'm like this is kind of like summer camp for me where it's i go <laughs> to a place and i know a lot of people there and a lot of these people understand what my life is like day to day. Yep. And I don't normally have that in most aspects of my life where I've got sort of this, you know, not it's not, it's not like a cultural thing, although it is to a degree with sort of community stuff. Right. But uh, it's it's people that get where you're coming from. And that's that's really nice. Yeah. And, and do you have I know, um, you know, in Salesforce, we have we have Dreamforce, right, which is, of course, like the big conference. But then, you know, uh, we, we had this. um this concept of the dreaming events that came out where, you know, um, uh, Eric Dreschfeld uh, started Midwest Dreaming. I think it was, uh, I'm not sure the exact year. It might have been 2013. Don't quote me on that. But from there, it just kind of exploded. And now you have all these dreaming events. There's India Dreaming. There's like London's Calling. There's Texas Dreaming. There's Northeast Dreaming. There's like all these. And, and these are basically you know, like many dream forces that are set up by the community, right? So the community sets them up and they become like these one one or two day conferences, which are really cool. It's like extra, extra camps during the year that we <laughs> that we get to go to. Um, do you do that? Is there something similar to that in Tableau? We don't. I think a lot of that's due to our community being smaller. Um, okay. So the, I saw an estimate. Um, I think it was on one of Salesforce's piece of literature. But they estimated the Trailblazer community had about like 18,000 sort of active members and the Tableau community had like maybe between like 1,500 to 2,000. Oh, so wow. it's like yeah. a lot smaller. Um, I think the people that are in, like engaged in both are sort of equally excited. But yeah. I think we don't necessarily have the head of steam to make that happen. Now, I will say this, though. Um, people are really sort of generous about going to other people's stuff. Um, sure. So when people are nearby, they show up. So um, I went to uh, New York um, back in the fall. I was there for a week doing some stuff for work. And uh, the New York tug was going on that week. So I asked, hey, can I speak at the New York tug? And they set that up. And I had friends from uh, from nearby, like Adam Miko, took the train in from Boston and was there for it. My friend, Lindsay Betzendahl, who lives in Westchester, Pennsylvania, not too far from you. She took the train in too and was uh, was there for the Tableau user group. And that was really exciting to get to see some friends that at that point, because I missed Tableau conference last year, I had not seen in, in years. I had actually never seen Adam in person before. He and I had been friends for several years. So yeah. it's really great to get to see these folks. And they they came out uh, to support their friends. And that's that's really cool. And I think one of the dilemmas where I live, living in uh, in Memphis, uh, we've got quite a lot of nothing around us for about three hours in every direction. Little Rock's three hours away. Nashville's three hours away. Uh, so with our own tug having gone defunct uh, around COVID, and even then we're probably getting about 20 members regularly, uh, there's not a lot of sort of the Tableau community near me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, if, I, if I lived in a more populous area, It'd be a different situation. Uh, and I, I see these, some of these other communities like the Boston tug and stuff where 
I'll see like 10 people I know that are at that tug. And it's like, holy cow, that must be amazing. Uh, so for me, that's why, um, you know, the conference makes such a big deal because it's, it's that opportunity to cross pollinate your ideas. And while I'm sort of beyond the stage of going to the conference where I want to do like the hands-on trainings, because for me at sort of not my level, but where I'm at, I, I can do this on YouTube. Like I can, I can do some yeah, of these yeah. things on my own. Cause I've got the fundamentals all worked out. It's the, the big deal about sending me is more of, I come back like super energized for work. I'm coming back with new ideas of how to do stuff differently or more efficiently. And I'm gonna, you know, spread that enthusiasm to other people, which is, you know, which is great. It's you want people in your org that are excited. I've got a bunch of colleagues that are, you know, people that get excited and it's great because that enthusiasm spreads and, you know, you want that, you want people that, uh, charge up others yeah well i think um i'm gonna talk to some of the people i know that are doing these yeah these dreaming events and i think having like a, a tableau component within the, the those events would be really cool and uh you know we, we, could, we could probably get some dual citizens going some dual tableau <laughs> you know people doing both because uh i love the you know everything i've seen so far i love it and as soon as i you know it's it's just stuff for running a business having enough time to like jump into something but that's like one of one of the things on my to-do list over here on the side is you know jump jump in and, and get get going on some of this database stuff well i guarantee you uh virtually any of those will have some passionate uh data fam folks nearby oh, yeah. that would be happy to jump in and that's one of the things like realizing that there are uh, Salesforce user groups near me. I reached out to one of them. They were meeting about an hour away. And I said, Hey, would you be interested in having a Tableau speaker? And I think they might be in the future, but like right now they're just sort of getting started back up and yeah. it's, uh, you know, just sort of being willing. Cause I know I like to speak at Tableau user groups. I have lots of friends that do as well. And I know some people that are sort of getting their feet under them. Like I've, I've got a friend at work who is going to be speaking at her first tug soon. And I was like, yeah, it's a really great opportunity for us to, you know, make sure we know what we're talking about and also share uh, why it gets us excited, how, how this can make a difference for you and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's a, like, like us going to, I don't know, like if I went to Dreamforce, there'd be a lot of Salesforce content that wouldn't necessarily impact me. Right. Yeah. But there's going to be something there. And similarly, if, you know, you have a Tableau person come to the, the Salesforce uh, user group, there's probably going to be a lot of people there. It's like, yeah, but we don't use Tableau. It's like, it's not a, it's not a big deal, but even if they, they take something out of that and they're able to bring it back to their job, like that's a win. Yeah, for sure. No, I think people will be super interested because they're always, you know, I think everybody's always looking to see, uh, you know, just other technologies. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I know, you know, we do consulting. So just all the, you know, all of, all of the different uh, organizations we work with and also a lot of, just in you know organizations internally, everybody's looking. Everybody has a data visualization tool, right? Whether they're using like basic out of the box Salesforce, which isn't as powerful, of course, or they're using you know Tableau or you know Power BI or whatever they're using, right? They have a visualization tool that uh, that they're using. So I think it's it's always useful to for anybody to just learn and, and see what's going on. I I couldn't agree more. Well, I, before we uh, wrap stuff up today, I really wanted to ask you, like, is there anything that you would want to say? Because my listeners are obviously uh, data people and predominantly Tableau people. Like, is there anything you would want to say to them or promote to them or clue them into that you think they don't know about? Uh, just, the, you know, I think generally... You know, data is in every, you know, for just being on, on the cell, you know, on the Salesforce implementation side, right? Our day to day is all data, right? It's always the, you know, the, 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 the as Tim always says, the devil's in the data, right? So that <laughs> making, you know, the data is an important aspect of our everyday lives. And, um, you know, uh, I just, I, I just love what the community, you know, what the data fam community is doing right now. And, um, yeah, I'm gl I'm glad to have you, Zach, as our first, you know, enough respect, enough respect data hero. So you you should have a gift coming soon. You'll have one of these to hang up behind your wall of, you know, the, crazy. The, the 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 Zach canvas, the Zettabyte. That's what we you know we we, we like to give <laughs> data names. Um, but yeah, I think another thing, um, another thing for your listeners out there is. You know, so we plan to do uh, 12 data heroes. I think I have uh, I have February and March locked in, but the rest of the year is open. So I'd love to have, get some feedback of, 
you know who should be on on, on this new wall that we're going to create with all the all the data heroes so would love to get some feedback if they could send it to you or they could send it to me and um yeah would love to you know figure out who's uh who, who to put in those last uh it's that nine nine slots. <laughs> where where can I send people to you to recommend a data hero? Um, probably the best place is Twitter because we're both on Twitter, and you know we could have a conversation on there. But uh, you know if they want to just DM me, or um, you know uh, I, I could all we could also include the email or something on here. So whatever way, but I think Twitter would be good just to you know they could mention me in a tweet, and we could get a conversation going just so we could start getting a, a group of people that you know and i'll probably put you on the committee zach to help me vet through that so. <laughs> I, I promise to work for good everyone <laughs> as 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 tempting as it would be to be evil yeah i'll i'll put our details in the show notes for this episode and yeah. uh yeah there's there's so many good people the biggest dilemma will be narrowing it down to 12 so yeah just everyone know we love you all no one uh no one is being willfully left out and uh this is just an act of love from Sharif reaching out uh, to all of us. And uh, he's a great dude. I'm really glad you came on today. And I'm excited to uh, to share ideas with you. I know every time I talk to you, I'm charged up. And I want to uh, sort of get back into investing in the community in my, my own ways. So uh, thanks for coming on. Um, and I'll talk to you again soon, Sharif. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, Zach. 